0: There was a real lack of surrender. For me, it was more about, hey, I, I I want fire insurance, eternal fire insurance, but I'm not so sure about this you know, being committed and under the authority of God. Sitting
1: in a married class, but I'm a single man after eight years of marriage.
0: Nearly every adult is running around, walking around, going through life, doing work, maybe excelling um, in business or ministry, and yet, They're a 40-year-old biologically, they're a 50, 60, 70-year-old biologically, and they're still 8, 10, 12 emotionally.
1: Helping men to understand that God is their father and that sometimes they grow up thinking that God is like their human father. And so they see God through that grid or that screen,
0: and they miss all that God is for them. This is the thing we can't stand usually, is there are things that God requires community to do to do yeah. for us that he won't do for us and that we can't do for ourselves. And we hate that because that feels the most vulnerable.
1: It's amazing what happens when you get somebody away from their everyday work, but they, they break down, they talk, and you can really make some spiritual growth.
0: Where young men especially, where boys and young men are, are pushed more and more to be feminized uh, versions of, of, of boys or men, and in a culture that doesn't value or um, promote or strengthen the, the good aspects of what masculine strength and characteristics of even look like. Loving
1: to work with men and enjoying uh, the fact that when you sit across from a man and you're working with him to help him grow his life, there is nothing better. Just looking across and seeing God change his life is incredible.
0: Hey, friends, welcome to our Love and Truth Network podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here with us to hear from my friend Richard. And uh, whether you're tuning in from Love and Truth Network or through uh, Transforming Congregations, we are excited that you're here, whether you're watching, whether you're listening to the program. And we hope that this will be something that is really encouraging for you, uh, gives you some insight, and maybe even gives some directions. Our conversation, after hearing Richard share, about some of his own story of coming to faith, which of course, as if you've been following us at all, you know that that's how we begin all of our podcasts. But our conversation is really going to center around ministry to men. And I'm excited for Richard to be here and to share. He has such a heart for this uh, area of ministry. It's kind of his... Um, his wheelhouse of, of passion in the church. And uh, so we're blessed to have you with us, Richard. And also let me just mention that the way Richard and I connected was through a ministry called pinnacle forum, where different leaders from around the country, these, these groups are uh, national, maybe even perhaps international. I'm not sure, but uh, the pinnacle forum groups are national and it's a gathering, not just for men, it's, it's for men and for women, but probably the vast majority of of these would be um uh, leaders who are men who come together, whether it's in the morning or an afternoon or an evening, but come together uh, most of the time on a, a, a Zoom or some kind of a video um, a platform where we can talk together, share together, and 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 just have a, a accountability and friendship and really spur one another on, as Paul uh, writes about spurring one another onto uh, love and good deeds. And so we want to be about that as well. And that's where I met Richard and heard his heart for men's ministry, ministry to men. And, and that's where, um, I just had this idea. I'd love to have you on a podcast for love and truth network and transforming congregations. So again, Richard, with that long ongoing, uh, kind of introduction, thank you so much for being with us and joining us. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you, Gary. That's great. I appreciate that. As I mentioned to you prior and then in the introduction, we really love to just hear how God has moved in various people's lives and uh, have drawn them into uh, faith. And so, and and we're, our our podcast is a pretty open book. And so anything that you feel comfortable sharing with our audience and just letting them know about how God has met you and intervened, we'd love to kind of hear that story of the before and the during, yeah. the meeting Jesus and the after a little bit.
1: Well, that's a, that's uh great to share your testimony. And I come from a, a Christian home. I would think it's a bap My dad was a Baptist minister, but it wasn't until I was 15 in a revival meeting and sitting in the back of the church that I really recognized that uh, hell was a possibility for me if I didn't make a choice for Christ. And that wasn't the only reason, but obviously I walked down that aisle and my youth pastor was there and he was. Saying, well, you know, you you're saved already. I said, listen, Kyle, I really don't have anything nailed down. And I need you to go back into your, I need you to take me back into your office and let's, let's talk and let's make it permanent. Because I wanted to have something was clear in my mind that I could start my testimony with. And so he did that and we went through the Romans Road, as they call it. And then I accepted Christ as my personal savior. And then shortly after that, I was baptized in the church. And uh, my sister went through a similar situation and we just wanted clarity. And so that was when I was 15. At 16, I dedicated my life to Christ for full time ministry. Little did I know what that would really mean in the future for me. so But I did that and then went to Bible college, went to a seminary. And then I taught uh, to finish up my seminary and went to Liberty University. And so I taught there in the religion division for four, for five years. And then- Right out of uh, getting,
0: right out of graduation? Um, well,
1: I was a youth pastor for a while after I okay. went to Bible college and then went uh, to seminary, the seminary I initiated in, they didn't do well after two years. I I walked away from that, went and was a youth pastor for my father for a little bit of time. Then I joined a group that was an evangelistic group that did high school assemblies, and they also did uh, one one week uh, services, you know, every every night at a church. So we did that for a couple of weeks. I met my wife there, and we got married, and then. In the fall of 1975, I went to Liberty University, which was pretty new at that time. Didn't have any paved roads. It was all dirt roads to, to the campus and and started teaching in the religion division. So that was a, a great experience. And then God took us from there into a youth ministry that was going to be international. They already had people in South Korea and had people in Australia. And so we flew to Australia for... Uh, the summer of 1980, and built what would be the foundation for Bible College there, and and the training in youth uh, ministry. And then, when we came back from that, um, we were in Dallas area, and my wife had an affair. Uh, we tried to work it out; it didn't work out. She wanted to leave, and so uh, I was left in 19 or. Yeah, 1970, 83 in Dallas with all those dreams of ministry and stepping aside. And I stepped aside for over about 10 years. She got married within a couple of weeks, a couple of months after we had separated. And then um, I started to work with singles and be a part of that. And God blessed in that ministry with singles. And I went to a church called uh, um, Schofield Memorial Church, which everybody has might've had a Schofield Bible a long time ago, but this is the the original uh, builder of that church was R.C. Schofield. Schofield. It was a great church and I connected there with a number of people. And then they, I said, "I'm, I'm sitting in a married class, but I'm a single, man after eight years of marriage and I said hey I'm sure there are other people that are single whether they're divorced or never married or whatever their situation is Uh, maybe we could start a a ministry and that's where we began the first singles ministry that that church had had when I left there after four years a guy from Dallas Theological Seminary was part time singles minister and then another guy after him was full-time singles ministry, so I believe I kind of helped that on. And then um, in 1988, God began to speak to me and say, you know, you've done everything I asked you to do. You've gone to divorce recovery. You've uh, stayed clean uh, in your heart and uh, your actions, and so now... Uh, I asked him, I said, God, I'd like to have a wife. I just would like to be remarried. And that was on November 1st. And a gal who had been in the same evangelistic ministry 15 years prior, I discipled her husband. They had been married for 14 years, and he stepped away. He was unfaithful in almost all of that time. And so they finally divorced. She went back to live with her parents, with her three girls, and she said, you know, I know that Richard uh, has been divorced. I'm really having a hard time. I need some help. So she she sent me a note. This is 1988. She sent me a note. There was no email or anything like that. And uh, I got the note on the 15th, and I had made a list of what I wanted out of a wife, and she matched it all up we already knew each other we knew each other's families and our brothers and sisters so uh, we got married in 1989 and that started the 35 years which is now our anniversary was february 3rd and uh okay, after congratulations about, was, yeah, just, thank you it's, it's, <laughs> it's quite a feat so yeah. after a year of that and uh we, I decided to go back into ministry or felt the call to go back into ministry, singles ministry in particular. So I sent out 34 surveys or 34 uh, uh, job, dis- what, what is it called? I can't even think of the name of it. 34 resumes. And uh, a guy who I had met in Los Angeles who was kind of a coordinator for a con- convention of, or a, a certain denomination uh, he and I had become friends, and he had known my father, who my father was in, in ministry. So I sent him a, a resume, and he had it sitting on his desk for two weeks. And his his uh, mentor called him, who was in Oregon, and this guy's in LA, called him and said, "Do you know anybody who wants to be a single minister?" And he said, "I got this guy on my, on my desk." I'll send it to you. So I was one of the 17 that applied for that position in the church outside of uh, Portland proper in Beaverton. And um, it went down to three. And then I was the one that was chosen and started ministry there in June, uh, January 7th, 1991, and built a college group, a middle singles group, and an older singles group, or as they would say, the mature singles group. (laughs) And we had great ministry there and also uh, began to work with men and creating a discipleship program for those who are in singles and getting people who are uh, trained in discipling people. And that that all started that process of loving to work with men and enjoying uh, the fact that when you sit across from a man and you're working with him to help him grow his life, there is nothing better. You can't build a house that's more beautiful. You can't build a boat that's more beautiful. Just looking across and seeing God change His life
0: is incredible. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's awesome. And how how long of a stretch did you have in um, in that church as the was it singles pastor?
1: Well, I started as a singles pastor then they made me the okay. adult pastor and then they made me a small okay. groups pastor this was because they were changing senior pastors every four years and they had oh. all had different dreams but ah. uh, uh I worked with I continued to work with men through them that same 16 years that I was there okay and since all right. then and then what yeah, yeah oh, go ahead and since then I've spent time in business with my son in real estate, but my heart has always been for men. uh, I've learned how to coach men, and I have a specific coaching system that I use for men that change their life. And I've coached individually seventy-five men, and trained about thirty-nine men, thirty-nine men in the coaching process, so they can do the Mm. same thing.
0: Okay, awesome. And, and going back to your story a little bit I want to pick up on men's ministry I also want to talk with you a little bit about your your experience with uh with singles ministry and just the the needs of singles in general obviously not yeah. just men uh, but going back to your story a little bit so I'm I'm reminded of the reality you know you grew up as a as a Baptist pastor's son correct that's correct. Yeah. And I, I didn't grow up as a pastor's kid, but I grew up in a Baptist church and, uh, and had similar experience. Uh, you know, once you, you know, you say the prayer and you're done. I mean, you're, you know, once you're saved, always saved. And, and, and yeah. if you've put the right words together, then, you know, then there shouldn't be any like questioning of our faith or what have you. But right. I, I went through a similar experience because I knew that even though I had managed to kind of eke out the right words and go through the Romans road as well. And there was a part of me that, that, really, you know, obviously one is salvation. There was also, for me, there was a real lack of surrender and a real, um, kind of withholding or not trusting God. And, and so for me, it was more about, Hey, I, I, I want fire insurance, eternal fire insurance, but I'm not so sure about this, you know, being committed and under the authority of God and that kind of thing. So it really, it wasn't until my, until I was 23 that I actually, really gave and and had gone through a whole bunch of craziness um but it, at 23 really surrendered my life to christ um for, for real uh but anyway had a similar church uh background and mm-hmm. probably theological background as well do you still how was the how would you say your your father and this not so much just a reflection on your father but even you know, as a pastor of of a Baptist church, a more conservative church, uh, uh, his generation. How do you feel that um, that he represented what a boy needs from his dad? Speaking of men of ministry to men, do you yeah. feel like he was equipped to to really give you all that you needed? Uh, as a boy and 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 gave that out sufficiently or was it more difficult to kind of understand what what kids needed back then boys in particular
1: well i would say that i, I misunderstood a lot of what he did because basically it was a pastor who'd come to lunch, come to dinner and eat with, he would eat with us as a family and then he'd go back and study more so we really didn't spend that much time together and I would, I would say he was a good father, provided for us in, in all the ways he needed to. But, um, uh, I, I was in tennis in high school, went to state in high school, and he never saw me do any of that. And so I would, I would say, um, he wasn't a good role model for me. And I determined that I wouldn't be like that. But later on, I found out that at, he was born in Saskatchewan, Canada. His mother was more Pentecostal, in, but his dad was refusing to do any of that, and so his dad left them, he and his brother and his mother, when he when my dad was fourteen. So he he just left. He abandoned us, abandoned them. So my brother, my my dad had to step out of high school, become a meat cutter, and pay the bills for the family. So. He didn't really have a father that cared for him. Okay. I can tell you now that when we moved from Arizona to Colorado, my dad took a church in Denver, and that's where I plant my salvation. That his father, he invited him to come live with us, and he did accept Christ as a savior before he died. But it was he, he had limited amount of good experiences to what a, what a father really is. Sure. So, I have to take. Do you that think into some consideration. of? Consideration, yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, and and that's helpful to know. Do you feel like some of what motivates you to to be involved or have a passion around ministry to men? Does some of that flow out of? The gaps of yeah. and the recognition of the gaps of what you didn't get, even though you grew up in a in a Christian home and and right. not only just a Christian home, but a home with a with a Christian leader, a pastor.
1: Right, and and that uh, even goes to the fact that uh, just recently I've created this um, legacy for uh, what, leaving a legacy. Legacy, just a four page yeah. understanding of that, and I've been I've been using it in several small groups that i'm a part of i'm using it with my sons at the moment mm-hmm. we will finish it next week because i determined that i needed to be with them every week as in a zoom call and and god yeah. took me to texas for a reason and uh, so many things happened out of, out of that uh, in a small group uh, with um and when we began it was a large church but a small group and the the leader was a detective in the Dallas Police Department, Mm -hmm. and after we did our small group study and everything, he pulled me over to the side and said, hey, I've figured out this neat thing that I'm doing for my children. He says, they all kind of live away from me, so I read the Bible every day, and I look for a verse, and then I send it to them. And I had been praying, okay, God, I've moved away from the three girls that are part of our family, and from our boy that we had together as a ch- uh, after we were in the second marriage. And I'm moving back to my first son. So how am I going to spiritually influence their lives? The challenge that that is. And this guy comes up and says, I just send a, a Bible verse every day. And I said, okay, Lord, are you talking to me? <laughs> so I created what is called today's word. I wrote it out of my readings of the Bible. There were approximately um, there are 1,485 today's words that cover six and a half years, and I sent that to them. Plus, I also had about a uh, hundred other people that wanted it, so I had a small group. And then I would study, then then take something from what I studied and send it to them, thinking that was a way for them to be encouraged spiritually, and I a way for me to still connect.
0: Yeah. Even though I was far did, away. Did you, so uh, regarding Today's Word, is that something that you authored?
1: Yes. Okay. It's, okay. well, the Word's Today's Word. I, I looked it up, so so I think it's privatized to mine. I have yeah. them all done over those years. Okay. And- uh,
0: by the way, how many books um, have you written or uh, curricula?
1: Well, that's an interesting thing because I had not written anything until I had those today's words. And then I was listening to John Maxwell, who said, I only I only write in four areas. And he said, one of them is leadership. And there was three others, uh, pastoral and all that. But uh, I thought to myself, I wondered over all those six and a half years, if there's something I missed that God designed in those 1485 today's words. So I went back. And that became the basis of my first book, which is called A Living a Principled Life. And I I have 80 universal principles that come from the Bible in four categories. uh, Principles related to character, principles related to conduct, principles related to confidence, like love, joy, peace, confident things. And then 23 principles, to tie it all up, that are related to community. They were all sitting there, and I'd written on them, and I just shined them up and cleaned them up. And, and that book was published in late uh, December of 22. Okay. Awesome. It's, and I um, had to put on the front of it uh, volume one.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> to force me to do it coming. right.
1: Volume two. And volume two is about the 43 negative principles that when you, are involved with them they will destroy your life okay pride hate anger and all those and so that's okay. the volume two <laughs>
0: yep well and you've been kind of i feel like at times from our conversations in pinnacle forum and when people ask you know when when, when i'm asked in the group kind of what's going on with me or uh, i i'm not even sure that i don't remember now if I've, I've been in a few groups where i've shared my testimony and that kind of thing but uh, it's been maybe a little bit of a baptism by, by fire for for you and the rest of the group to kind of get to know uh, me and and my background and what the Lord has brought me out of and that kind of thing. And so I'm just wondering in in, in dealing in um, sexuality and obviously that's that's not just a men's issue to be sure. I mean, it's increasingly a a, a women's issue even when it comes to pornography and things of that nature, adultery, fornication, obviously, but um, but certainly sexuality seems to be something that oftentimes the misuse of sexuality seems to be something that tends to drive guys, young guys, even older guys more on on a percentage basis, more than, uh, than women. But, um, in the writings that you're doing and in the discipleship work you do, I'm, I'm just wondering: Do you incorporate some of those ideas or principles of of uh, you know the positive aspects of God's design for our sexuality and our identity as male and female made in His image, as well as then like you're talking about the second book, uh, talking about the things that can destroy you, the negative um, sides? Or do you bring out much of that in your writings or in your discipleship work?
1: We do. Uh, we have seven assessments that uh, that we've created that have short statements on them, and then a a uh, one-to-five ratio, one-to-five, that they can grade themselves. I'm not a mentor. I don't want to be a mentor because that kind of means I'm above them. So I, I, I work with them, and we go through these, these um, uh, I call them, assessments. And the first one is loves, loves God the Father. And we talk immensely about how he is a father, how we're adopted, and all of that. And we, and then we have these statements and they have to grade themselves on that as they feel. They are, are they a two, a five? And then we talk about why do you, why did you grade yourself as a three? Well, you know, this, 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 and we can get into conversation. So it takes us usually 21 meetings to go over seven assessments because we're, we're dealing with, uh, Six to eight statements on each one. They're they're grading themselves, and we do get into the moral areas uh, of their you know money and also the sexuality, and uh, well how they deal with the opposite sex. And so we talk about those things because they're brought up as a statement. Where would you be on this scale? So we get a little. Look, I'm I'm taking down there whatever they say. If it's a three or five, and then we write notes down there. But at the bottom of every one of these, loves God, uh, committed to uh, the Lordship of Christ, uh, submissive to the Spirit, um, then then four other kind of areas that are I think are crucial to the to discipleship to finish it out. But we spend most of our time, and interestingly enough, I'm reading a book called um, uh, How People Grow by C- Cloud and oh, Townsend. Yeah. yeah. And in that, he makes reference to the fact that you really have to have an understanding of some doctrine if you're going to grow in your spiritual life. And that was just another emphasis that we believed that a long time ago, and we put it into these assessments. And helping men to understand that God is their father and that sometimes they grow up thinking that God is like their human father. And so they see God through that grid or that screen, and they miss all that God is for them. So what we talk about doing is raising your eyes above your father, who was a? I, I, I would say this about my father. You know, he was a sinful. He was a sinful person. He was a just a normal human being. So, raising my eyes above him, rather than going through him and saying, "Well, he ignored me, therefore God ignores me," or he didn't say that he loved me. The first time I put my arms around my father was when I was forty-five years old. So it's been a long process to, to come back together. So uh, men have to understand that their Heavenly Father is loving and caring and adopted and what all that means to them. And that helps them to move forward, no matter what the situation is with their father. Obviously there can be terrible situations, uh, but God can, can heal that in their hearts, no matter how long it takes. He can do that. So yeah, we, we want men to lead and they need to spiritually, emotionally, mentally grow and this is the way we do it. At the end of each assessment, we say on the basis of what you've learned about yourself, where would you like to grow further? And so they, we give them a chance to put something down there and then we go to the next assessment. Then after the seven assessments are done, then we have a summary assessment, which says, okay, write down what you put at the bottom of all those pages. And then let's say, okay, you've got five different things you want to grow in or eight, seven, depending on how intricate you were on it. But then you say, okay, which one do you want to start with? So there, there we have a three thing. We have a trinity, a trinity going on. I'm helping them. The Spirit's helping me spirits helping them and then they're connecting with me so it's really up to the spirit to change them and not me but I need to get them to open up and that's why I use the
0: seven assessments that's great I, I love that I um, yeah there's a number of things kind of uh, firing <laughs> off my brain but one one thing you mentioned a moment ago, is that you're helping in the areas of um, spirituality and intellect, and you mentioned emotions too in the in the emotional. And I and I think that that for men is one of the most neglected areas of uh, of trying to help them become healthy. You know, spiritually they get a lot of kind of spiritual perspective, uh, preaching, dialogue in, in church. And, and then, you know, hopefully if they're in a regular uh, rhythm of reading the scriptures, they're getting some spiritual connection there. And of course that's about so much more than just spiritual, but I so often, and and then there's the intellectual, obviously education. And, and so many, what I found to put it simply, what I found is that um, nearly every man, frankly, nearly every woman, uh, um, unless they've done a lot of work as adults to, to grow in their, in their, um emotional capacity and health. what I find is that nearly every adult is running around walking around, going through life, doing work, maybe excelling um, in business or ministry and yet they're a 40 year old biologically, they're a 50, yeah. 60 70 year old biologically and they're still eight, 10, 12 emotionally right. Um, right. what would you what would you say about that specifically with regard to to men?
1: Well, there the is a good book that, that I recommend, and that's by uh, a pastor from New York, and it's Scazzaro. Oh, Peter
0: Scazzaro, yes.
1: Peter Scazzaro wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Yes. And the connection there is really important because I don't think you grow unless you you get out of your teen years mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. So there's no desire to do that, and you're... you're, you're Driving the big truck, or you're doing whatever you're that makes you feel like a man, but you're still acting like a kid. Right. So I, I I would say that's a that's the most the hardest area for a man to work in is his emotions. Yeah. Because he's been told to shut up and don't cry all his life, yes. and now you're saying I'm not trying to make him into a woman. I'm saying you got to connect with your heart. Right. And, we have uh, three different areas of of, of uh, focus in us. You know, we have a, a mind that can think and the intellect and all of that. We have a heart that's our our soul and and uh, where we can emote, and then we have a gut which tells us things much sooner than any of the others do about mm. other people. And those three things, when they all are working together, I think you're becoming more emotionally healthy.
0: Yes. Right, exactly, and you mentioned a little bit ago about the idea of this kind of triangle um, effect that's happening as as you're working with a a, a man, uh, maybe a young man, maybe a uh, peer, whatever. That there's the dynamic of 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 you ministering of God, obviously God, the uh, Holy Spirit ministering to you, giving you insight. the Holy Spirit giving them insight, and ultimately, as you said, rightly so, um, he's the only one that can bring about genuine change in that person's life but then there's also this connection between that person and you where uh which is forming this triangle and i often talk about when i'm out teaching and speaking i talk about the fact that there are things that uh god only god can do for us that we can't do for ourselves and there are things that we can do for ourselves that god refuses to do for us because he wants us to do that i mean empowered by him but he wants us to take up some authority to take action Uh, But then there's also, and this is the thing we can't stand usually, is there are things that God requires community to do, to do for us that he won't do for us and that we can't do for ourselves. And we hate that because that feels the most vulnerable, you know, we, we need to open up to community. That's part of God's design for us. And yet sin particularly sexual sin, tends to have so much uh, shame, uh, just laden with shame, and when we're feeling that shame, the last thing we want to do is open up to community, and yet that is really what completes that triangle, that that uh, healthy place, is when we're connected with God, we're connected with ourselves, even in a way that is, we understand ourselves, we know ourselves, we're working through uh, issues and growing and maturing, but we're also deeply connecting with other brothers uh, sisters, yes, but more importantly, uh, and our spouse, for sure, our a wife, if we're married as men, but also we need our brothers uh, that, that are part of our community as well. And I think that isn't, while, that's, while there's some talk about that and there's some recognition in men's groups that that's good, I've been to so many men's groups that just scratch the surface or only address the intellectual or the spiritual side and leave the emotional completely unaddressed. I, I'm assuming you probably have experienced that too.
1: yes, and I, I really recommend anybody, to, uh, everybody to that's interested in men's ministries, pastors especially, to read the book Why Men Hate to Go to church. Yeah, by David Morrow. and mm-hmm. he he just makes it so evident that we have become so laden to to be uh, all the Sunday school teachers are women. All the teachers in the education system are women, so we get kind of lulled to sleep. And uh, boys mature two, uh, one to two years later than girls do, so there's a, right. s- a lot of stuff going on there. And so there, there, there's some real power in having accountability. And uh, another friend of both of ours, Marsh uh, Bull, has a mensgroup.com. Mm-hmm or mensgroup.org, men's place where people can get studies. And I just wrote a study, and it's there on the extended studies. It's a four-lesson study on accountability. Why Mm. do you need it? What do you do? And uh, because when I was 41 and went to that church in Beaverton, after about a month of being there, the pastor took me in his in his uh, office, and said, "Okay, Richard, I'm going to give you two weeks to find accountability partner." Okay, now this was my response. What's accountability? What's an accountability partner? Right. Okay, I had been to Bible college. I had been to seminary. Yep. No one had ever talked about it. Mm-hmm. I've been in church work, and so. He says, it's getting someone, you give them four to five to six questions that you want asked of them, from them every time you meet, you have to meet every other week. and So I found a great friend and David and I met for a number of years and then when he was left, Mm -hmm. I, I found another accountability partner and I would write on a small sheet of paper, these five questions. I want you to ask me, and it was the greatest thing in the world to know that I'm I'm eating lunch with this person, and we get to talk about me. And I could, they would ask me penetrating questions, and then at the end, he would say, "Now you asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it." And he pulled out his wallet mm-hmm. and take out that those five questions and ask me, and yep. said, and I, he said to me, and I I. Agree. You have agreed to tell the truth. Right. Okay. So that is, accountability is so powerful and so needed for men. Uh, and that can flow out of a small group, uh, you know, individually. I think it's best done one-on-one. And yeah. then uh, you can have the group for support and encouragement. Mm-hmm. So there are so many yeah. things that can be done with men. But but most pastors, and I apologize to any pastors listening to this, but most pastors, it seems like the only two things they're interested in is you become a number and you're at the church and you're attending and you give a check. Outside of those two things, you know, most pastors would say, Well, I'm a man, so I can do pastor I can do men's ministry. No, you can't, because you're not you're not that focused. You have to lead the church, and that doesn't necessarily mean you can spend all your time with men. So it has to be a focused ministry and, and I keep asking the question. if you pay a women's minister, why don't you pay a men's ministry person? Mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. it, it seems like that's what should be doing uh, discipleship. And you know you're, you're going to talk about men's ministry and I, I, I have four different sections of the pie. We can do that whenever you're ready.
0: Oh no! I think that uh, I'd love to to dive in there. I have, from my experience, and I I was you've been a pastor. Uh, I was a pastor for twelve years as well, and I I know so many um, wonderful pastors. Many of them that are doing amazing work. Some some of it in the men's ministry space. Uh, yeah, and and I often, you know, I what I feel like from my experience with pastors and. Uh, if, and having kind of traveled around the country and gone to a, a number of churches is certainly I, I do believe that in the arena of uh of sexual brokenness and restoring sexual wholeness and even in these issues of identity. I mean, that's why our ministry exists because I believe the church has the ultimately has the answers. They're God's plan A, whether it not just yeah. on these issues of sexuality and identity, but but certainly there, uh, and 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 more broadly speaking, and that's that's also true for sure, of of men, of men's ministry, women's ministry as well, ministry to women, ministry to men. And but what I find is that so often pastors are just inundated and um kind of devoured by the pace of ministry and the and or the pace of what ministry can be in some ways ministry almost loses its its genuine ministry because it becomes like a machine and and i know that i i certainly experienced this as well that you can just get gobbled up and devoured by that and i think there's so many well-meaning and well-intentioned pastors and leaders Who want to do a good job? I mean, most are not in the role uh, for for ulterior motives. They're there because they want to shepherd and they want to they want to do it well. And yet, there's there's a big kind of missing of the mark because of a lack of training, a lack of equipping, a lack of maybe gifting in that area. And ultimately, to me, it comes back to the reality. I think that I firmly believe that pastors and um, well, yeah, the pastors are in place. Leaders are in place for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, and yeah. too often, and it's impossible for pastors to do it all. It and is. yet, I think that the vast majority of folks that are attending church are—I mean, what's the what's the kind of well-known statistic that you know, eighty uh, percent of the people attending church are just sitting as spectators, and twenty percent, or or it's ninety percent and ten percent are doing all the work. And right. and so there's in one sense. Pastors need, for sure biblically speaking, need to be equipping for the work of ministry. and yet sometimes, many times, uh, we've either just out of either laziness or our own busyness as as Christians, we don't we're not really wanting to be equipped for the work of ministry. We expect the pastor like, hey, we pay you, you do all of this and yeah. and yet that can that takes us completely outside of, uh, the New Testament teachings of of what the body even looks like and how we should function together so right. I definitely think that um, has an impact in men's ministry one of the things that you mentioned uh, just reminded me that the church that Melissa and I and our family attend here in the in the Phoenix area is is a very very large church and uh you know that church was founded i don't know now maybe 35 years ago and don wilson was the original founder of that in his heart from i don't know if it was from the very beginning but early on he really he recognized that look if we build our churches and our ministries uh oriented toward men that uh the 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 percentages show that when a man comes to Christ or a man surrenders his life or a man um recommits or whatever his life to Christ that the 90 some percent of the time the the children and uh their wife their family comes along in that decision and and yet the percentages really drop when when you're focused primarily on women or when you're focused on children and that doesn't yep. mean we shouldn't focus on women and children obviously right. but the church that we now attend i mean there's there's, I think, 16 different campuses in the, in the Phoenix area, and it's grown to like 45,000 um, people, which sounds crazy, but the way that they uh, – and, and they're always talking about um, the need – the backbone of their church is small groups. I mean, that's just that's just all there is to it. If people are not involved in a small group, they're showing up on Sundays and they're like, hey, you're here on a Sunday, but you are not in fellowship. This is not fellowship. This is not where you're going to find accountability. It's not where you're going to find genuine relationship. But even though we're a huge church, if you're in these these smaller groups of 12 or 15 people and you're doing it on a regular basis and you're entering into genuine prayer and discussion and really have each other's backs and uh, are, are operating accountability, then, then just because we're a huge church doesn't mean that you can't experience real intimacy in these groups that, that make up kind of the cellular structure of the, of the whole body. So anyway, I just, I find, but I thought it was interesting. This church has never gone through a split and, um, it's just continued to grow over time. Uh, it's, it's now led by another senior pastor who is wonderful and amazing, but, uh, the fact that that was the originally the the founder's vision of really orienting the church toward men—that is so unusual in in the structure of most churches today.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, there are great churches around. The, there's one in Arkansas that the pastor was just at like 1,200 men on a breakfast every Wednesday or whatever. Mm. So there there are guys that are doing it around the country, but I think I think our seminaries have kind of heard us, given us all the details of uh, learning the languages and all of that, but they they don't do anything for a pastor. He doesn't know anything about accounting. (laughs) He doesn't know anything about discipleship, it doesn't seem like, uh, because uh, he's full. His quiver is full of arrows and he can't take any more. Well, and his mind
0: is full, right? The the other thing that often doesn't happen in seminary is any real internal spiritual formation either. You know, so many many people enter into seminary with a full-blown porn addiction or some other kind of sexual brokenness or some other kind of serious... Uh, issue of deeds of the flesh just leaking out everywhere, and they leave seminary with those same issues or or worse, right. and then go into a ministry situation where now now I really have to hide all this stuff, and so it re it it just perpetuates this right. double living, and and man, what a miserable place to be uh, in in a church setting and situation where you could have hopefully have been really guided, like some of the the programs you're talking about, if they had had those. Uh, surveys and, and men walking alongside of them in, in their um, formation in Bible college or seminary, they could be light years ahead of where they're actually at, but now they're kind of left to themselves, unfortunately. And, and what they should choose is the hard choice. I'm going to come out of the darkness. I'm going to come into the light. I'm going to find the help that I need that is on them to do that, but it becomes a harder and harder decision to make the longer it goes on.
1: Right. Uh, uh, yeah, we're really good at hiding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love for you to talk about those um, four quadrants or um, I'm probably saying that wrong, but what you brought up a few moments ago to kind of unpack that for us a little bit.
1: Yeah, just in the the last minutes we're together here, we just talk about a circle that's divided vertically and horizontally. So we got four pieces of the pie in in ministry and then we have a leadership group above that. So I, I put it in, there's a main event. There should be some big places where men can come together, that they can see that there are other believers uh, across the board, and and worship together and get challenged together, and where hundreds of men can do that. That's a main event. And then there are out of that event, and uh, uh, for those who couldn't necessarily make those events, are clusters. I, I choose to call them clusters rather than small groups. I think. A, some, some guys I've talked to about small groups because I was a small group pastor for, for four years. They don't like that. Oh, small group. It sounds sound like I'm going back into counseling or something. So clusters of men who get together and, and pray together and, uh, they study the word and they challenge each other and they can even break down into, there's accountability that can take place there w- with everybody having an accountability partner. And it doesn't have to be shared at all with the group. So the clusters become the second element of, of, of how you work with men, and then special events, and those can go into three categories, where you're 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 drawing unbelieving men to come just because it it's going to be a great event. I and mean, We did one in uh, uh, Beaverton, which we called Braveheart Games, and uh, we had a huge grassy area we put a huge tent up we were going to serve ribs to everybody a full meal obviously we charged them for that but then there were there were nine events that they had to participate in and they were scored on those events and at the end of the night we gave the winners a, a, you know a ribbon with a medal on it just like the olympics and they could take that back it didn't matter whether they were believer or unbeliever you know we had a guy Make a set of horseshoes that was three feet tall and made out of steel, two of them. So, trying to get them around that post at the end was kind of hard. And then we had uh, uh, throwing a lance. Uh, what's the distance? And we had a guy pulling, uh, throwing a rock. I mean, just just strange things. But everybody enjoyed it. The there were people cheering and laughing, and then. They go in the tent. They have a nice dinner, and then we have a word from the pastor concerning men. And that that's a special event for men that can be unbelievers can. And what it does is, when they go to work on Monday morning, say, "Hey, how was your weekend? Oh man, I went to this event. We did this. I scored. Look what I got!" You know. And so it gave them a story to talk about their men's ministry. And then there are other things like missions, mission events where guys can go on. Uh, and be a part of something special there. And the other section, that was in relational events where you're doing a father-son retreat or you're doing a hike or you're doing a camp out. I know when I was working with singles at, at the, in Virginia, we came all the way out to Colorado and, and did a hike over the two, there's four ranges from Denver over uh, west. And so we go over one and hike over there and do uh, rappelling and all that. So that that's kind of a special event. It's amazing what happens when you get somebody away from their everyday work, but they, they break down, they talk, and you can really make some spiritual growth out of that. So those are areas and special events. And then the last one is coaching, which I think I've designed a program which is not a not a Bible study program, it's, it's involving them in their own life and having them evaluate themselves and then move forward. And you can do that. I do it through a coaching system where I'm asking them questions. I'm not counseling them. I'm asking them questions about where they are and what, why they chose certain things. And the interesting thing is you know that something's happened in their life when they kind of turn their head and look up and go, you know what? And then they just go on with whatever God yeah. has just told them and they've made a mm-hmm. breakthrough.
0: So that's awesome. Well, and so what, like, I'm a big fan of, of John Eldridge. I really appreciate, um, mm-hmm. a lot of his, uh, writing and work with men as well. And I, and also Gordon Dalby is somebody who is not nearly as well known as John Eldridge, but I think, I think he actually kind of spoke into and laid out some of the framework for men's ministry that John got a hold of and then, you know, wrote a lot of books on, but Gordon Dalby also has a number of books out on this, on these topics. And, but when I think about, um, what you were just sharing about that, that event, so, so coming out of uh, the LGBT world, coming out of uh, uh, gay identity, um, and but then it, it's, it's not just that, because even when I was on staff as a pastor and guys knew my story, I would have a lot of guys come to me and say, Gary, I don't deal with same-sex attraction, but I can't stand the stuff that most men's groups do. Like I have no, I, I'm not into sports. I'm not into yeah. all these things. I I don't, I feel out of place in men's group. And that surprised me in the beginning before I, I heard it a number of times. It surprised me a little bit because I thought, oh, I'm, you know, it, it's someone who dealt with the kind of stuff that I dealt with. It doesn't feel comfortable in men's groups. And what I've realized over the years is there's a significant portion, not the majority, but there's a significant portion of guys who don't fit into the kind of stereotypical You know gym rat or you know loves climbing rock climbing or do whatever they're more um even if they're not dealing with anything in the lgbt space they're just not into that stuff and so one of the things i'm wondering now let me just also preface and say or or say that i think it's really important for guys like me who come out of my background or guys who maybe aren't naturally drawn towards sports or some of these other things i think we need to lean into not just rejecting uh some of these other stereotypical kind of masculine things but we need to kind of explore that we feel uncomfortable we we are going to be quick to maybe feel ashamed if if you know we're not going to be as good probably as everybody else but it's still i think important that we that we actually, um, practice and, and allow ourselves to kind of be exposed to some of these things that, that tend to make us feel more, tend to make us feel uncomfortable and just be with the men who are doing those kinds of things and do our best in the process. What I found is that oftentimes guys, especially if they have any kind of training or awareness, they're like, they want to be encouraging. They don't want to rip on you. They don't want to, there's always those guys that do that, but they want to be encouragers of, of guys like me who don't really know what they're doing or feel uncomfortable or quick to feel shame. But my broader question is in, in the work that you do, do you have a a view and an eye out for those guys who don't feel, um, strengthened or emboldened or encouraged by doing those Again, more stereotypic, stereotypically masculine things. Do you have? Uh, how do you how do you capture those guys and and draw them into men's ministry when they feel like, oh, it's just going to be another one of those kind of events?
1: Yeah, I you think, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think you, your your team has got to design a program or a, you know a, a men's ministry that's going to reach across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's important for a pastor who, or, or a leader of, of a team uh, for men's ministry to understand that and make that clear to everybody that we're trying to reach all the men. And that will mean we're going to diversify a lot of different opportunities so we can gather those guys in. So it's, it's helpful when you, when they have when they're in marriage settings, to you know have that father-son time where they can go because that they'll meet other kids and they'll meet other dads and it breaks down some of the barriers so that kind Mm -hmm. of thing and then design a whole pro whole program or 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 what you're going to do throughout that that considers all the elements of uh men that you have the diversity of men you have and try to this is a, this is why i think it's it's a difficult ministry in the sense that we're talking about you have to be have integrity in your leadership group they have to be courageous uh to yeah. do more than just appeal to a certain element
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, they need to persist they need to be optimistic they need to be generous ex and they need to do things that are excellent for the people whether it's a father-daughter banquet, which we've done those, right. or uh, something with uh, their son. Uh, there's just a, a lot that needs to be handled, and uh, we got to forget about we're all in one body. We're all going to the same heaven, so let's make mm-hmm. sure we include all the guys, and that, that inclusiveness yep. needs to be there for sure. And that yep. starts with the leadership team and, and should develop throughout. The rest of the program, if they continue to make, yeah, and that I think apart.
0: based on what you just said, in a in a way, this um, is is obvious and shouldn't necessarily have to be spoken. But I think I, I, let me just say this: that in addition to uh, to trying to develop a kind of a, a wide range of activities or interests that will capture not just kind of one group of guys, but, uh, but a a wide range of, of different men. Also in, in sometimes I feel like ministries have tried to do that but then when it comes to communicating or inviting or standing up in front of church and doing an announcement or doing some kind of a video or whatever uh, or even an email kind of communicating it they they leave the reality that hey we've we've really worked hard to we know that every man is not a cookie cutter you know of every other yeah. guy and not every man is a gym rat and so we've we've we certainly have something for those guys that love that kind of thing but we also really want you're a man you're not some subset of the of the male population we need you you need us and and we want to join together and we've worked really hard to 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 bring something that is going to be inclusive and inviting and, and, um, and helpful, enriching to a wide range of, of guys. And, you know, so I think sometimes in the communication, even when they've made efforts to do that, sometimes that's completely missing. And a guy just assumes, oh, it's just going to be one of those, you know, one of those events again. So, uh, but but I love everything you shared. Um, I think the other thing, uh, Richard, what you talked about, oh, go ahead.
1: One other thing is just that, uh, um, they need to set the tenor. I mean, for what they're doing, and yes, there are. Uh, it's great to just sit down and talk, and right. and to find out what would be of help. And and I know that a lot of guys like to just go out and help somebody, yep. or a group of guys go out and clear some area and territory, mm-hmm. or cut down some trees or whatever, and help help some elderly. Right. So there's all kinds of ministry opportunity. Uh, if we just put our head to, to to heads together and make sure that we're trying to touch all the bases.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly, I, I, um, I have a real heart and burden for for guys to experience um, a sense of of joy about who they are as men made in God's image. And we're living certainly in I believe in a culture. That right now in this time frame, just from a, a layman's perspective, but as one who certainly reads up on and and stays up on not just issues of sexuality and identity, but also just our uh, misogyny and you know the devaluing of the feminine and uh, and misandry, the devaluing and the hatred of the masculine, it seems like we're living in a time that where there's I think misogyny the devaluing of the feminine that's still an issue today obviously in many places and and uh, across the globe and in, even in our country but i feel like the the tables have kind of turned in some ways because of historic misogyny and now there's a lot of misandry there's a lot of devaluing of the masculine everything okay that's a that's too strong of a word many things that i believe are simply characteristics of of strong men decisive men gets lumped under this banner of toxic masculinity which is which is is there such a thing as toxic masculinity yeah it's actually called sin and is there such a thing as toxic femininity yes it's called sin and Mm -hmm. so guys don't bear um this this toxic nature uniquely in humanity it's something that we share as male and female as men and women and and certainly, I think we're living in a time now where young men, especially where boys and young men, are are pushed more and more to be feminized uh, versions of, of of boys or men, and in a culture that doesn't value or um, promote or strengthen the the good aspects of what masculine strength and characteristics uh, even look like. So, I think we as a church, the church needs to to really reclaim the good of both right. femininity and masculinity of, of what it means to be male made in God's image. What does it look like to be female made in God's image? And I'm not talking about roles, but there's a way that we live out femininity and where women live that out. And it's, and and that's a spectrum of what that looks like yeah. in terms of being female and uh, you, the unique personality that a woman, a child is born with a girl is born with and grows into uh, you know, womanhood with there's, there's obviously a range of what it means to be feminine and there's a range of what it is to be masculine. And, and I think that we need to understand that in the body, but that doesn't, when I say that there's this range, I'm not saying that by any stretch that like, you know, moving from kind of the, the, the stereotypical, masculine um, identity by the way the stereotypical cultural stereotypical masculine or feminine identity is oftentimes completely at odds with biblical identity you know for male and female it's not um that the one does not equal the other but but certainly within this range of what god created and blessed within this expression of masculinity then we have you know the LGBT world and the LGBT space which doesn't represent any of that well it doesn't mean that there's wonderful people in that space there are kind women kind men really wonderful frankly i've known some kinder people in that space sometimes than i've found yeah. in the church at times but but that's not something we should be promoting or or blessing this embrace of this broken identity that is being born out but rather how can i how can i as a, as a guy, like I was so blessed in the church that I was on staff with for 12 years. It was the church that I, I was married in. Um, my wife and I've been married for a little over 16 years now. And you know, the, the men, I was just talking with somebody recently last night about, uh, they came to our wedding and the, they were commenting on the guys that were there in my, as, as part of my groomsmen. And, and some of them were, were, real jocks. I mean, really strong guys that knew my story and it was through their acceptance of me and love of me not the blessing of my past life but their acceptance of me as a person that began to help me grow as a man began to help me this this dormant seed of masculinity that was that was i was always looking for masculinity out here in another guy in a way that was never going to be blessed by god or bless me ultimately and it was through their relationship and fellowship and accountability and just this genuine nature over the course of years of time that that. I was able to to stand and be in this place of of becoming a husband to my wife, and 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 there's been lots of growth since then. But to get me to that place where this was actually a good thing to step into, instead of yeah. this horrendously fearful thing that I wanted nothing to do with, um, it it was through those relationships that God really reformed, uh, and um and called out the good of the masculine. And so the 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 power of that. And these guys weren't PhDs in human sexuality. I mean, they had no idea in a sense what to do with the, you know, the guy that was involved in homosexuality for many years and identified in that space. But all they, all they knew to do was to crack their lives open, share their walk with Jesus, share their walk with one another and be willing to treat me like I was just another guy. Yeah. Yep with some, you know, some unique things that they didn't fully understand, but they loved me and cared for me. And God used that over the course of time to radically transform my life. And, um, and I'm still in that transformation process. It's not over, but man, did he propel me forward through those relationships with men? Is there anything you, anything you want to kind of springboard off of in regard to that?
1: Well, I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the variety that we're, where each person is on the spectrum. Uh, but this story has come to me as I read through Noah's, Noah's whole thing, you know. That God says three things about Noah. He says he walked with God, he obeyed, and he worshiped. He worshiped when he came out. And I think that if if every man could just get a handle on those specific things, walk with God, that's to be a little bit more understanding of what that really means, because that's the deep part. Obeying is the part where you're not saying, hey, I'm not, I'm independent. I'm a guy. I'm supposed to be independent. You're supposed to be interdependent. That's the third phrase dependent, independent, interdependent. And so, obeying is okay. In fact, it's a great thing, especially because God doesn't lead you down a tunnel or a dark space. So walk with God, obey God, and then worship Him. And that's the tough part for guys. They don't know how to do that. (laughs) Um, So, But that's the bulk of it for any man. If he can do those three things, he's on his way to maturity.
0: And, and also just to that triangle idea that you pointed out earlier, doing those three things, but doing it in, in connection and in community with our brothers, right. And obviously with our, with our sisters and our spouse, what have you. So yeah, yeah, I, am just so grateful, Richard, for all that you've shared with us. I would love, before we wrap up, um, how can people get in touch with, um, with you, whether it's through a website or some other way of, of contacting you or finding, uh, your books or materials, what, what's the best way of going about that?
1: Well, they can just email me at rmadison, M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, Realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y, rmadisonrealty at gmail.com. I'd be glad to talk to them and we can tell them where they can get the book. I have some here, but they're also sold on Amazon, but okay. uh,
0: they're there too for right now. Good, good. Well, that's great. And um, we'll make sure we include that information uh, in in some kind of a written form here in this podcast as well for those That'd that are viewing great. it. And yeah, I, I mean, I again, I just appreciate your wisdom, your counsel, and your passion for ministry to men and the work you're doing in the church to help in this process. And it sounds like the surveys that you're talking about would just be so incredibly helpful, especially for any man that has a desire to walk in this space of wanting to help others. Obviously the surveys would be great for any of us just wanting to know ourselves better. And, and from that perspective and receive personal help, but also to take that into our, um, our, our sessions, our times of walking with other guys and utilizing those surveys. So are those surveys something that's available online or how are those surveys? Assessments.
1: I, I have those assessments and we've been making them better and better. And uh, I can send you a set so you can just take a okay. look at them and if you can help That'd us in great. any way with some of the questions or the statements, that would be great. Um, yeah, I've uh, used them for a, about 20 years and they the reason I cho- chose to have a piece of paper out in front of them is because you know when they talk when you talk about buying a home and anything you don't want to get mad at the people you want to get mad at the process where you're working on that piece of paper and the same thing's mm. true with men I don't need to get I can accept and love and care for a guy. I, but I can still say, okay, well, this is where you've graded yourself. So it's the paper that yep. that they're arguing against or whatever it is that they're doing.
0: Right. Not me. Right. So right. It,
1: it's really helpful.
0: Yeah, that is helpful. Well, listen, uh, we are so grateful, Richard, that you were here. We're also grateful th- to our audience, to those that are listening in, watching our podcast, whether, again, you tuned in through Love & Truth Network or Transforming Congregations. We're grateful you were here. We hope that you picked up some things that could be helpful, encouraging to you, maybe informative in in your ministry to men or in some of the areas where you need some personal uh, help and care as a as a man fo- uh, following Christ and walking with Him. So, uh Please tune in again in the future for another one of our podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.